0: Amen. So this morning, we're looking at, uh, obviously, the, the birth of Jesus, and we're, we're celebrating his birth, but we're looking at Christmas worship this morning, Christmas worship. And I would, I would say this morning that when I look at the biblical account of Jesus' birth, that Christmas, one of the things, of course, Christmas is all about Jesus coming to be born to die for our sins. That's the purpose, right? But I would say that when I read the accounts in the Gospels or the Christmas story as we know it, Christmas is all about worship. It's all about worship. Worship of Jesus. Worship of God. Jesus is God, but worship, it's all about the worship of Jesus. And I believe that there are at least, I'll mention maybe a few more, but there are, I'll highlight and focus my attention on at least three obvious acts of worship or, or, or instances of worship associated with Jesus' coming to earth, right? And they teach us, If we listen, and if we look, and if we go back and read the accounts ourselves, they will teach us how we can and ought to properly worship God. We can learn from these accounts. What is it that the Lord deserves? What is it that God deserves, ultimately? What does He deserve? I'm going to get rid of this thing. What what does He deserve, right? He deserves praise, doesn't He? Amen? He deserves praise. He deserves adoration, now, I'm just, I'm, just make, I'm throwing out words. There's many scriptures to back all this up. I'm just throwing these words out to help us get a, a little bit of a grasp and it's of what worship is of our of, of our God, right? It's exaltation, exaltation of our God. It is magnification of our God. You know, in our world and in our lives, sometimes everything else crowds us, like we were talking last night, and we have no room. But and it makes it can diminish. It does, it does, it'll never diminish who God is, but it diminishes God in our lives with our busyness, our schedules, everything else that goes on in our lives. And, and even our own thoughts and our agendas and our plans and visions and aspirations. And, and, it, and it shrinks down God but when we magnify and start worshiping God through our thoughts and our words and our focus on Him and realizing who He is. It makes Him large again in our lives. Does that make sense? And that it ought to be that way. He ought to be the largest thing, I, excuse me, the largest person in our lives who is magnified and made bigger, right? And people shouldn't have to, and we shouldn't have to use a, tele, a, uh, sorry, a microscope to find Jesus in our lives, right? Shouldn't be that way. And sometimes it is because he gets crowded out. But we magnify him. We make him bigger. And, and, and even we'll get to what Mary said about that. But there's a byproduct of doing all this. And one of the things that happens when we worship God, part of the things that happens in true worship is that there is rejoicing in our soul now that doesn't mean you're walking around you're all smiley you're all happy and you're all dancing around that's that's an expression of our worship and our love for God too, an adoration of him but there is rejoicing in our soul there's something that happens in spite of and despite everything that's happening it's bubbling inside us and we realize God is great he's awesome he's wonderful he came for us he's the prince of peace he's a wonderful eternal father and we rejoice inside and then it It colors everything else that we do in our lives. Simply because we've adored, magnified, exalted, and praised the Lord, and there's rejoicing that comes. And then we glorify God. We make Him, He's the only one. He's the greatest, the ultimate, the supreme authority, the only one who's worthy of all worship, and we glorify Him. Right? That's, that's a little bit of, there's so much more involved, and there's many other things. But that's what he deserves. He deserves all that from, from us. All creation does that, and all creation will do that when Jesus comes back one day. Amen? But there are at least three, as I mentioned, uh, instances, and there are many more. But we read in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, and I'm in Luke's Gospel again. We were there last night, and I'm there again. And I want to finish that, that account that Luke gives of Jesus' birth. I started a little bit of it last night in a few verses, but I'll read it again starting in verse 8 of chapter 2. And, of course, in the previous verses, Jesus is born because there's no room in the manger because there's no room in the inn. And in verse 8, Luke records, And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, And they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. It'd be kind of terrifying to see that and, and what's going on. But, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 13. And suddenly, there appeared with the angel, there was the one angel giving this news, and all of a sudden, there appears with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Now, really important here, when we hear the word heavenly host, when there's the heavenly host, that word actually in the Hebrew, but even by extension in the Greek and, and, and with what's connected with the, with the meaning of the word is that there is this, the armies of God, those who are sent out by God to do his work and his bidding and to carry out his mission and purposes, and they're fighting, if you will, for God and proclaiming he is the commander-in-chief. And they do everything he tells them. And the heavenly host joins this angel, and in verse 14 says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement statement which had been made had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart and pondered them. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told to them. There is so much worship and praise going on here, filled in this account. Filled here, not to mention in Luke's account, when the wise men come into the scene, but we look at first, we look at Mary, and Mary worshipped. Mary worshipped. In fact, even before our text in Luke chapter two, it's amazing, it is powerful. It is actually it's shaming. It should be shaming. It should shame us to know what Mary did when she received news from the angel that she would conceive and she's chosen and she's a favored one and that she would bear a child even though she's never been with someone, a man. And she responds in a way, and what does she do? She worships and praises God. That's her response. Her response wasn't like, oh man, my life's gonna be so ruined now. Wait, that sounds like today because whatever God wants or desires for us, it, it, it upsets our apple cart. I get, get, get turned upside down. Me is reversed and it's supposed to be about God. But Mary, that never crossed Mary's mind. And immediately, with, with her godliness and with her humility, she's praising and worshiping God. If you read her Magnifica, it's amazing what's in there. The worship and the glory, the exaltation of God is all throughout that prayer. She's having a worship service, if you will. It's her and her and God. That's it. Her and God after she hears this news before he was even born. Mary is worshiping God because of his plan that she he had involved for salvation through Jesus worshiping God. Jesus is being worshiped already and praising God. And the birth of Jesus, if I could put it this way, and I don't want to be misunderstood, so i got to be careful whenever somebody says that, you're probably going to be misunderstood, right? So you don't say that, right? No, I'm kidding. But I want to be just clear here. I don't mean that Mary is changing and that worship is changing forever, but yet worship in history was going to change because Jesus was coming. And Mary does something when Jesus is born. And even in Luke chapter 1, as I mentioned earlier, in verse 46, when she hears this in her Magnificat, she says this. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. With this news, with my situation, with the world and everything in it, and the expectations and what people will think and what's going on. And she says, my soul exalts. It lifts up and it just Elevates God. He doesn't need to be elevated, but in my life, I will still elevate Him to the highest place, and I have no shame, and I'm so glad to do it because I love Him, and He is my God. And, 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 And it elevates. My soul doth magnify the Lord. It magnifies. It exalts. It makes bigger. It lifts up. And there's a new level of worship, if you will. It's becoming extremely personal in this sense. Mary is carrying Emmanuel, God, with us. God was in her. Really? Really? And then she would deliver, and he would be among not only her and Joseph, mom and dad, but among all of humanity in that region. He is there, God, Emmanuel, God with us. And it's a new level of worship and it's very personal. Jesus, God Himself comes down. And now this worship is elevated in this sense. See, here's the thing about worship and what think about Mary's situation. Worship draws us away from our frustrations and our failures and sins to focus on God. It does. Because you, if you look at everything around you and you realize how broken it is and, and, and my imperfection and how I sin and, and, and all our frustrations and the things that we go through and our emotions and letdowns and whatever it is, it, if we stay there, but if we instead worship God in that situation and we focus on God, it draws us away from that. It just does. And you get pulled away and elevated above that. And in verse 47 in chapter 1, she says, My spirit, had re- spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Okay. Here's the thing you have to notice. In her mind, naturally, and physically speaking, and societally speaking, Mary's freaking out in the natural. But look at how she responds because she focuses on God. My spirit has rejoiced In God, my Savior, I am not allowing my flesh and my mind to focus on the natural earthly things that are happening, but my spirit is rejoicing in God, my Savior. The focus was on God. It was on God. Worship is a gift that lifts us up to God. I really believe that. God has given us that gift. In fact, he had that before the fall. He was being worshipped forever. He established that. He's worthy of that. He demands that. Just who he is, his nature, and who he is, demands that he is worshipped and, 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 and revered above all other things and persons. He, is, he that is mighty, in verse 49 she says, hath done to me great things. Okay, what has just happened And she declares, she declares that he that is mighty has done to me great things. Would you respond that way if you were in her situation? Do you respond that way when when things don't go your way or things are unexpectedly go your way and yet they're part of God's plan because you don't see everything totally. But even if you do understand some of it, sometimes we respond in such a way God, what are you doing to me? Why are you allowing this to happen? And Mary says, but no way, I'm not doing that. The one who is mighty has doing to me a great thing. The only thing that will give us the highest fulfillment in life is worship of God. Verse 48, she says, He has regarded the lowest state of his handmaided handmaiden mary knew who she was she knew what her role was she knew what her job was she 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 lived in a simple way she was a simple young lady and yet her highest fulfillment in life was to worship god no matter what happened no matter what happened before no matter what happened afterwards in that moment even with this news she's worshiping god what about you what about me you know trivial trivial we are I'll tell you how trivial we are, and you can relate this as an adult to other things in your life. Just transfer it. When I was younger, and I know a lot of you experienced this too, and I would get, I'm reflecting on Christmas gifts again, when I would get certain gifts, and I, was, I got them, I should be happy, right? I, and I got many of them. And yet, when I looked at, at them, I was disappointed sometimes, and sometimes I was disappointed that I was, I was unhappy. I was unhappy. I allowed it to ruin my day. I allowed it to ruin my day, and then it'd fester, and I'd hang on to it. How come I got that? How come they didn't know that I wanted X, Y, or Z? And there's a dissatisfaction. And we can be the same way if we we focus on ourselves and that, and we don't remember to keep in mind that God has a plan, and he's done great things to us. In other words, he has a plan that he's fulfilling and accomplishing in our lives, and our spirit is going to magnify him. But if we focus on those things that happen to us and we're dissatisfied all the time and we're not happy with what he gives us, oh boy, things don't go very good. They don't. Mary worshipped even before he was born. We're going to come back full circle to Mary in a few moments. But Mary wasn't the only one who worshipped. The shepherds worshipped. We read in our account that the shepherds worshipped. See, God invited these these, these, these simple common people, if you will, they were abiding in the field. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 in our text says, they're abiding in the field, they're working, they're doing their job, a simple little thing, not always easy, but simple, and they're, they're invited to worship God. The angel invites them to go to Bethlehem, that there essentially, there's news in Bethlehem, you should check it out. Glory to God in the highest. And there's this great news that's coming, this great news is that the Savior has been born. See, God accepts worship from working people as much as he's done from, from people like Mary. And, and, and common people, everyday, normal people, all of us, he accepts our worship. They're keeping their watch over their flocks by night. Life is going on. And Sharon's working her second shift at the hospital, and she's, but she's praising God. And God comes to her and visits her even though it's Christmas Eve, right? Because she's worshiping God, and she's invited to do that. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, God comes, and the invitation is, come and see. Come and find out who this Jesus is for yourselves. And worship comes out in verse 10. He said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And that worship, that news, that good news, springs something up inside you, right? Anytime you hear good news, you get get a little, like, right energized inside you do there's a good word spoken or a good report you get you get you do you get an extra pep in your spirit and your step if you will and that's what happens here with these shepherds i bring you good tidings of great joy don't be afraid by the way at what you're seeing this is all kind of freaky but it's real that's what that's what he's telling the shepherds It's good news. And out of their rejoicing because of the good news, and they finally realize what is happening in Bethlehem, there's rejoicing that comes. Worship centers on Jesus, on salvation and his lordship. You know, one of the things that I I neglected to just mention very quickly and just remind you of, excuse me, is of what worship is. Because worshiping is acknowledging the glory of God, right? In the Old Testament, to worship in the Hebrew means that you kneel down, you bow down, you prostrate yourself before God. And that whole imagery keeps pointing to something that I mentioned last night too, and we mention often here, is that it points to this fact that Jesus is King and He is Lord, He is Majesty. He's the ultimate authority. He deserves all our praise. And we kneel and bow down to the king. We ascribe the worth of God to him. In the New Testament, when we hear this worship, and His concept of worship, and even in the English language, this concept of worship, is a lot of times how we ascribe that worship, and how we play that out, how we do that, with what's already in there. It's a position in our spirit, in our heart, and then oftentimes our worship is revealed by what we do with our lives, how we live. And you know what the summation of that is? Is that we obey God. We obey God. We obey God and we keep acknowledging His glory in all that we do. The things that we think, the, 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 the words that we say, we acknowledge the glory of God. Somebody said that, that giving, worship is giving the worthyship to the Lord that He deserves. He's worthy of. Of all our praise, worship, adoration, love, exaltation, magnification, and rejoicing, He's worthy of it all, all of it. And so, what is the focus of worship again? To glorify God. The angel said in verse fourteen, "Glory to God in the highest, glory to God in the highest." And listen, I'm, I'm going through this devotional, and, and as I was preparing, I, I, it struck me because I read the other day, and. For this so devotional, I got, thanks, Gene, by the way. And, and it's amazing because Christopher Ashman, he writes this, he wrote something about this, this, this declaration from heaven from the angels. And it's a whole one-day devotional on it. And it's, this is really good stuff, by the way. But I want to quote him what he said. He said, when the angels declare glory to God in the highest heaven, they proclaim that with the birth of this boy who is the eternal son of God, the invisible God has made Himself visible. And even in the highest place where glory shines in a way in which glory did not shine before, that is an astonishing thought, for we are not talking about earth. We are speaking about the heavenly places. In that wonderful place where God's glory shines through all of eternity... In some unimaginable way, glory shines with greater unparalleled splendor when Jesus is born. Glory to God in the highest. When Jesus is born, because He's born, glory to God in the highest, in that place, it's beyond anything you can imagine. And God's glory is already there, and yet there is still glory to be had in that highest place where God's glory already is. All because Jesus was born and is worthy of all worship, praise, and honor. He's born, and it's glory to God in the highest. What should you do when you're presented with the opportunity to worship? How about worship? (laughs) How about worship, right? But I'll show you how to do it because we see from the shepherds how we should worship when the opportunity is there. And by the way, the opportunities never stop every day, every moment. Too often we just don't look for them and we miss them. You know what they did in verse 15? If you want to worship God when the opportunity is there, respond wholeheartedly. You know what they did? They said, let us go. When they thought about what they heard. They said, let us go and let us see. Let's go and let's see who this is. Let's go and let's see Jesus right now in verse 15. Respond with your whole heart. When it's your whole heart and it's you will move to action, you will do something about it. If you're wholehearted about something, it means you're all in and you're going for it. When you're wavering, going back and forth, you're not there yet. You're not there. But they were all in. They responded wholeheartedly. Secondly, respond immediately. When the opportunity to worship is there, just like the shepherds, respond immediately. They came with haste, in verse 16, the Bible says. They hurriedly came. They came they, in haste, and they found their way to Mary. They came in They went right away. They did not wait. And then go to Jesus. Don't go to someone else. It's God. It's Jesus who is to be worshipped. They found, in verse 15, the babe lying in a manger, They went right to Jesus and they went right to that manger and they worshipped him right away. Verse 20 says, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. They went away. They were worshipping. That was the result. When you come to Jesus, you leave worshipping. Not even just in that moment, you're worshipping and you're blown away by who you've seen. God himself in the form of a child. Jesus. But you're worshipping. You end up worshipping. You're praising God. In Ukrainian, we have this custom, and the Ukrainian custom, and, and you know the custom is on, on Easter, on Resurrection Sunday, what we do, right? Christos Voskres, Christ has risen, or is risen. And then we say, Voistino for indeed he has risen, right? But on Christmas Day, we do the same thing. We get up and we say, Christos Narodiusa, Christ is born. And then everybody stands up and says, Slavim It means, let's give him glory, And we do that three times. Christ is born. Let's give him glory. It's all about worship. It's all about worship of our king of kings and lord of lords. And you know what's really neat? I love this because I'm getting caught up with the language. But we don't have this in English in a way with other things we do. But the the word for glory in Ukrainian is slava. Slava is glory, right? And yet, the the way that you give glory to God is that you proslavlay to pr- pr- Liam is... To, you have that, that, the, the pr- prefix there. And it's to give praise to God for His glory. It's an amazing thing. I, I, maybe you're not catching it, but... It, and I'm, I can't make it clear, but I'm, I'm, it's me. I guess it's just hitting me right now. But we... Let, Slavimia, let's, let's give Him glory. Glory is God. Slava is all gods. But let's proslavlach. To proslavlach means that we will proclaim or to praise His glory... And we do it with our lives, with our mouths. We do it with our... our, our, We're engaged. We do it wholeheartedly. We do it immediately as we worship Him. And I love that. Christ is born. Let's give Him glory. And thirdly and quickly, we have the worship by the wise men. We have Mary worshiping even before Jesus is born. We have the shepherds who respond and they worship. They went away worshiping. They couldn't help it. They met the king of kings. And then we have the wise men in Matthew's gospel, chapter 2. Sometime after Jesus was born. But still, they came to him and they worshiped him. Why the star, right? Why the star? God saw men searching for him, so he used what they understood and what they would respond to. There were Old Testament prophecies in Daniel and in in, in Micah about Bethlehem and and, and other places as well in Scripture. That there would be a star that rises, and and it would be His star. And the star was tied to the Deliverer. It was called His star. We have seen His star, and we have come to worship. We have seen His star. It was His. They knew about this, and there's many, obviously, uh, thought. Uh, many thoughts about the fact that these were mathematicians scientists they were they were into astronomy and that they were very well aware of all the constellations and the stars and they saw this anomaly if you will this supernatural event going on and it caught their attention the star because it was lit up and the way it was and it was unique it had to mean hope i have i'm assuming but it had to mean hope it does and that star went before them. It drew them. It guided them. It led them. In, in, in verse 9, Matthew records that it went before them. And that star led them to Christ. God used that star to lead them to Christ. The star which we saw in the east. And, they, and it came and it stood over where the young child was in Matthew 2.9. They came to worship. When they went to Herod and they wanted to know where to go, they said, we have come, we want to find him so we can worship him. And then, of course, Herod, yeah, me too, tell me, and then I'll go worship him too. There was, he was completely sarcastic and just mocking the whole idea, and yet he responds by taking care of young babies all throughout the region. We know that they came to worship because of their gifts. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That doesn't mean that there were only three wise men, by the way. There were many wise men. A whole bunch of them, probably, that came together. But they worshiped because they brought gifts. What was their first response in worship? In Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. They were amazed. They were amazed. You know, when you're amazed... This is how it is for me. When I'm a I'm speechless. I can't say anything. I'm so blown away. It almost doesn't even process in your mind. And when you meet with Jesus and you met him, and you're just, you're amazed. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. The star brought us here. We went all this way. We've seen him now, and we bring him our gifts. We bow down, and I'm just amazed, and yet there's an exceeding great joy that's happening at the same time. Because remember, when you worship, the byproduct is you will have rejoicing. It takes all your attention off everything else around you. What was that? Ne- the second step? That first response was amazement. The second was that they bow down. There's that word in the Old Testament, to bow down and prostrate in reverence. These were people who probably had some finances. They had connections. They had knowledge. They were learned. And yet they are bowing down to a baby. They're bowing down to a baby. They fell down and they worshipped him. The Bible says in verse 11. That's all they could do. When they realized and knew who he was. And then that third step, as I mentioned earlier, that third step was that they gave him presents. They gave him gifts they opened their treasures and they presented unto him gifts also in verse 11 gold frankincense and myrrh and i don't think they did it grudgingly they didn't do it like oh man we came all this way and i got to give him something they actually prepared that in advance knowing that they would meet with him how about us how about you how about me can we learn from the wise men do we prepare ourselves They'd be ready to worship. They would bow down, that we would be amazed by God. Not ourselves, not what he's given to us, not what we have, but that God amazes us. Let it be so, that we would learn from the wise men that worship is about being amazed and blown away by God. Let me add, very quickly before we wrap things up. In Luke chapter 2, verses 28-28, and then also in verse 38. We read about two individuals very shortly after Jesus was born. We read about Simeon, who was waiting for a long time, and he was a devoted man who lived in Jerusalem, he was devout to God, and he was waiting for for the consolation of Israel. I I love that expression, but he's waiting for the Redeemer, the Rescuer to come, and he's waiting and waiting and waiting. And when Jesus is brought to the temple, and it was only several weeks after he was born, and he comes into the temple, and he goes through the customary law, the procedure of presenting to, to the temple, and Simeon comes, and when he sees him, the Bible says in verse 28, he blessed God. And he said, because my eyes have seen and your word has come to pass and you always keep your word, God, and I'm holding the Savior of the world in my hands and all he could do was bless God. And then 10 verses later, in verse 38, there's a prophetess who lived there in that temple for years and all she did was worship God all the time. And it says that she came out too and after she saw and heard about us and she saw what was going on, she all she could do was worship and praise God. That's all she could do. Look at her for yourself. It's there. It's in the scriptures. Jesus' birth is all about worship. It's all about His worship. It's all about elevating Him, magnifying Him, and focusing entirely on Him and remembering that He gets all the glory. Let's circle this all back to Mary again. I'm going to ask the praise team, to come to the platform because we're going to finish with two more songs and we're going to worship God together before we walk out. Back to Mary. Luke chapter 2, verse 19. The shepherds went, they saw Jesus, they came back, they told everybody about what they saw. They couldn't help it. They were blown away. Verse 19, Mary, the Bible says, treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And as she's doing that, the shepherds go back and they're glorifying and praising God for what they saw and heard. But she's treasuring and pondering in her heart what she saw and heard. She's making connections to the word of the Lord and the word of the angel, right? God's word prophecies in the Old Testament. But then that word that comes to her, the angel, and that she's going to be with a child, And now she's seeing all this worship that's happening. Her baby's being worshipped by all these people. And she's hiding in her heart. And it's so valuable. It's treasured. It's the most important, most expensive, most, most treasured thing. And she's got it there. And she's thinking about it over and over deeply. Wondering, connecting dots with God, what he said, his word, and how it all works together together. For the salvation of the souls of humanity. Pondering and treasuring. How about us? It's Christmas time. Jesus was born for you and for me. He's born and how much do we treasure Jesus and that he came for you? Do we treasure? Is he everything or just something? Something. At some point in the day or some point in the year, God forbid. Is he everything and do you think about him all the time? Mary treasured and hid this in her heart. She lived a life and we ought to live a life where we are constantly aware and we're cognizant of the fact that Jesus deserves all our praise. And because of that, when we're pondering, we should then consecrate ourselves and know that all that we do is for Him. One day, it doesn't matter how much you've treasured Jesus, it doesn't matter if you've never treasured Jesus and thought about him like Mary did and pondered what he did and why he came and that he was born over 2,000 years ago. But one day he's going to come back and you've got to hear these words because this is the truth of how it all is going to end. In Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 to 11, the Bible says, That after Jesus lived his life and he humbled himself and was exalted to the right hand of God the Father after his resurrection, it says here, Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. He's worthy of our worship and praise. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. That's not by accident. There is a play there, and the the Holy Spirit knew, and Peter writes this, and God uses these words because every knee will bow. Every person will worship. They will bow before Jesus. They will acknowledge His glory, even those who a split second later may never be with Him in eternity they will bow their knee. They will worship God and declare that He is glory, that He is the only one, that He's the ultimate authority, the ruler of the universe, the King of kings, and everything goes through Him and is for Him. Every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth, and under the earth. Wrap your mind around that. Do your study. It's everyone and everything. And verse 11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How's that for Christmas worship? Let's do it. Amen?